Coming to you from USL headquarters, this is Steal Some Time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Steal Some Time, episode 24 is here. Kelsey Steele joined by Scott Stewart and Matt Calvo. We are down to four teams. It's conference final time, and this weekend is going to be a fun one. Listen, this is going to only be the second time in our history. A number one or number two seed will not win the title on the 17th of this month. It is an exciting time. I think it's it's always fun when it's somebody that's kind of unexpected that takes the crown. And um, this weekend alone is going to be an interesting one to see kind of where we go because I think we can go in, in obviously two different directions when we're moving into that final on the 17th. But Scott, I want to get right into it because our our Western Conference semifinals were fun. And I think we've got to start over in Phoenix when they uh, hosted the Monarchs this past weekend. And we said that the Monarchs have been the only side to really prove that they can hang with Phoenix. And, well, they proved that on Saturday night as well. The The dragon has fallen. The the king of the West or of the league, they're gone. The The story has changed. The narrative has changed of this postseason. Our, our number one overall seed is not advancing. And now we've, we've got to look ahead to what's to come. But before we do that, let's break down this matchup a little bit because I, I think there's few things that I – really, really need to hone on, hone in on in these matchups that are just so great that we have to break down. But I think the buildup to Junior Fleming's goal in the 25th minute is something that you're going to see coaches use forever. Like I, I envision this is something where no matter what level it is, you've got a coach breaking down the formation of the sequence because the this was just so beautiful. Adam John kind of showing himself in the middle of the pitch, making that turn. Fleming's taking notice, making the run, and then John dishing just the beautiful feed in between two defenders. And then to finish it all off, Fleming's taking the one touch, looking up, finding his spot, finishing the left-hand corner. I mean, Scott, I know they lost this one, but that was gorgeous. Yeah, it was a beautiful goal. I mean, I, I reached a point almost where they scored, and I was like, should I just shut the TV yeah, off? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I, thankfully, that wasn't the case, um, less so for Phoenix, obviously. But it was – I think Phoenix came out exactly the way everyone expected them to, and obviously um, to be able to get that early goal, I think, was – well, not that early, but to be able to strike first, I think, was important for them. It just was more about the way that the Monarchs responded. I think that when we talk about the Monarchs, especially heading into to next week, but their performance against Phoenix was so impressive. And it, it might not be something we've talked nearly enough about this season, but they've got to be the small side kings, right? I mean, the the control that they have, especially under pressure right around the 18, I mean, it looks like all they do is play small side all the time. I mean, the, the ability to control the ball and possess under that kind of pressure, it was just incredible. And then we saw the finish by Chang uh, to just case, you know, prove that. Um, I, I think that we have to talk about the impact of Jack Blake and what he has done in the postseason. I mean, this is a guy that was just he hit with a torrential injury there during the season and was out for, for quite some time. And for him to kind of come back and come into his own, one, super happy for the guy. He, he's a great guy. And he's a captain of this club for a reason. But he has been 
such a difference maker for this club. I mean, it seems like he's involved in almost every single sequence when it comes to this Monarchs offense. Yeah, Jack is obviously somebody who helps drive that Monarchs sort of, well, I don't want to use the train reference too early, but <laughs> he, he sort of helps drive them forward. And obviously, um, just like you said, he, he's been integral to be able to come back from a major injury and to perform at the highest level. And I mean, he's been there, obviously. He was there against Orange County and he showed up big against uh, Phoenix on Friday. So, Clearly somebody who, if you're El Paso this weekend and Mark Lowry, very familiar with Jack Blake, he's one of the guys who right away, you've got his name circled on the team sheet. We got to stop this guy from even touching the ball. I'm going to love to see how he matches up, and especially that midfield matches up against El Paso this weekend. So we got to talk about El Paso and Sacramento too, because um, this this went one direction that I did not foresee coming, Scott. So uh, Logan Ketterer had a massive save in the 79th minute. I honestly just have no idea how how he got to that ball it is absolutely incredible has to be talked about i think when we when we look at save of the years i mean especially this month but the difference for me I, el paso just capitalized i mean both of these clubs had opportunities they both had five shots on goal but it's one of those issues that we talked about earlier on in the season for sacramento just not being able to capitalize in these big time moments and el paso made them pay yeah, I mean, you got to give credit to El Paso for being able to to perform that well defensively. I think um, head coach Mark Lowry was very, um, I mean, he was humble, but he was also right in saying that this lopsided scoreline isn't truly reflective of the game we saw. I think that El Paso being able to add that third goal doesn't really help Sacramento do themselves justice in what was overall a, a fine performance. But I guess that's kind of the the difference between regular season and in playoff soccer is a fine performance won't necessarily see you through to the next round. And El Paso clearly found the goals. Aaron Gomez, um, Contreras, and obviously Sebastian Velasquez, who we've seen on the score sheet recently, um, they've just got the right guys to, to light it up, and now they get to uh, see what's ahead. First year expansion side, you get you gotta love it. It's really it's a really special time for El Paso, but I think this you're talking about the tale of two different halves. I think you know Sacramento had a lot of chances there in the first half, and in my perspective, I think they looked completely different in that second half. El Paso really found their form, um, got really comfortable there in the last 15 minutes or so, as we see on the score sheet. Um, so I just kudos to El Paso and, and what Mark Lowry has done. With the side because they're moving to their first ever conference final and they're going to see the monarchs this saturday at 3 p.m eastern and um for one i love that we get to see this at zion's bank stadium because it's going to be absolutely gorgeous mid-afternoon beautiful time to be in salt lake but this conference final scott is really difficult for me to wrap my head around because we have two clubs that have seen each other twice this season both have been nil nil draws that's that's unheard of. On top of that, when you start to break down those previous meetings, we're talking about an El Paso side that had 17 and 18 shots in each meeting. Guess how many the Monarchs had? Mm. Four each time. One on goal each time. Yeah, that's crazy. Two very different approaches. Obviously the same result. You know, no, no points came out of either of those meetings. But El Paso has got to be different this time around. They should be encouraged going into this matchup knowing that they can create opportunities, that there's a lot there, and obviously that their system plays well against the Monarchs. But we come with results in the postseason. It, there's no there's no draws. This this is time to prove that you can get the chances, great, but you got to deliver this time around. So how do you think that that will that will face? Because that's a really interesting dynamic there. 
It's it's tough to judge. I think I first off, I I love this final. I love the yeah. matchup that we get. I mean, Monarchs hosted El Paso in the first game of the season, so obviously neither team necessarily um, up and running at that point. And I think it, it's difficult to judge that one. Just like I think that you know, it's hard to judge Monarchs nil nil at El Paso, given the the circumstances between playing in a place like Zion's Bank versus um, playing in El Paso. I know that the Monarchs are riding a 12-game home unbeaten streak. I know that that is going to be something that's going to be difficult for any team, regardless if it was El Paso or Sacramento, to have to overcome. The Monarchs obviously returning to their home confines where they last hung six on Orange County. Again, though, kind of like what you said about Louisville and Pittsburgh, it just feels like something's going on with this El Paso team that's hard to overlook. So you can kind of throw away home unbeaten streaks and throw away previous meetings because when it comes into this, it's all about um, you got 90 minutes to show what you got. And I think El Paso's proven just as much as the Monarchs have, um, if not more so that, that they belong in this conversation. This is a different Monarchs team now, though, than the one that played that. I, I don't I don't have the schedule in front of me, but they've evolved a lot. They have Down evolved. The of the season. Their two results are interesting too because they have that first meeting at the beginning of the season. I think it was the second week of the season. And then again in July. Like they had some serious space in between those two meetings. So what I take away from that is their whether they were very different teams, the results and the way they played and then possession, everything is very much standard across the board. So I'm taking a different perspective on this, Scott. I have the monarchs in this one. I they're I am so impressed with what they have put together right now. And I think being at home at Zion's Bake in the afternoon, like everything the way that they like it. And I, I think Jack Blake's going to be pivotal. Like I, I, there's just something that has me saying that th this is the way it, it's going to go. Swope Park's the only team to ever win a conference final as an expansion team. So El Paso, obviously a, a few different notes of history on the table. That's one of them. They can join Swope Park to do that. Of course, Swope Park ends up losing to New York Red Bulls too in the final. Um, so, you know, that's obviously a step away from them as they're looking now. But um, you're also looking at two clubs that have been extremely high producing this postseason. El Paso with six goals, Monarchs with eight goals. This could take a totally different turn than it did in the regular season, and we could see a shootout. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and so, so you you think you're going to head on in the uh, the train? Nah, no. Nah, I mean, I'm I'm going to pick the Monarchs. Just I've picked against El Paso at every point so far this postseason, so I figured I might as well just keep it up. But I also, again, just going back to to what we've seen out of the Monarchs recently. There's no disrespect to El Paso. I think that they fortune was on their side a little bit. I mean, the ball has to bounce your way at some point in the postseason. I think they got that against Fresno. I do think they were very deserved winners against Sacramento, even though it was probably more even than the, the scoreline dates. But yeah, I just I got to go with the home team. We're going to see the Monarchs in El Paso this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern at Zounds Bank Stadium. And earlier in this season, we were joined by the Athletics' Jeff Reuter, and he left us with this little tidbit. It might be a year early for El Paso, but I do think that they're going to be competitive like that. Well, obviously, Jeff knew something that we didn't at the time, and El Paso was obviously one of four remaining. So when we come back after the break, Jeff's going to return to the pod for one final prediction. So stick around. We're going to be right back. Hey, soccer fans. This is Jeff Reuter of The Athletic, and you're listening to Steal Some Time. 
The Athletics' Jeff Reuter joins us now. Jeff, what a pleasure to have you back on the show. How are we on this fine November morning? Uh, it's it's crisp here in Minnesota, but uh, we're doing well. This was the, uh, the, the podcast foretold. This is the one that ahead of the season, or I think a month in. Uh, we had jokingly said if El Paso makes it to the conference finals, I'd have to come back. And sure enough... They're in the conference finals. What a wild few months it's been, too, because there was a time, I think, where we were in the middle of the season where we're like, well, Jeff's crazy. That's not that's <laughs> not going to happen. And here we are. So I'm, I'm here shouting your praise. You know, you have completely followed through, somehow knew what you were talking about. So tell me, <laughs> how has this club been able to make such a run? Well, you know, it doesn't surprise me, actually, that they had their big summer swoon. Uh, I think that was largely to probably three different factors. Uh, the first is that their center back anchor that Mark Lowry built his defense around Meshach Jerome went out with a season ending injury. Um, and anytime that you have your best defender leave your team uh, for an entire season on an injury, uh, it's going to be an issue, right? And they didn't have a tailor-made replacement yet. And then they brought in Ntoko and that changed a lot of things just in terms of their defensive structure, having that kind of strong anchor of the center back pairing. Uh, that Mark Lowry likes to deploy. The second was uh, another kind of just rotation of injuries, whether it was Richie Ryan. Um, I think Omar Salgado missed a little bit of time as well. Um, and frankly, they were still missing some of that creativity in the midfield that in the attack that they didn't get until they brought in Sebastian Velasquez over the summer. Uh, and then the third thing, going with that attack, Jerome Kiesebetter finally was caught. Uh, and, and I think teams finally knew they had the tape on him playing center forward after most of his career had been misplayed on the wing, which meant that they didn't know what they were getting into as he was scoring those goals for fun. And he was winning, I think, player of the month. If not, he was like a finalist for it, uh, scoring in record second, record setting doses. But once you figure out how to defend against the team's best attacker, and they really didn't have a strong second option or a creative hub around that attacker, uh, there's going to be some problems. So uh, I, I completely understand that. That said, as players like Richie Ryan have gotten healthy, um, as the attack has become less uh, dependent on Jerome Kiesvetter carrying it on his back, uh, and as Ntoko has stepped into that defensive role, uh, Brian Rebellion is doing some tremendous work over on right back as well. Um, it, yeah, I mean, these, these guys look what I expected them to look like uh, when Mark Lowry became their head coach. It's so interesting that, you know, you see El Paso in this conference final, which is massive for an expansion side alone. Um, and I think it's a, it's a real compliment to um, what Mark Lowry has done with his side there. What do you think needs to go right for uh, for El Paso to advance to the final on the 17th? Because this is a side with the Monarchs that's they, they've had a, a really interesting season when you look at their two meetings. I mean, both are nil-nil draws. So something's right. got to go different this time around. Around. Um, from from your standpoint, what does El Paso have to do to get a W? Yeah, I, I can't imagine many people would love to see. You know, they're all banking on Phoenix Rising scoring five goals in the conference final, wherever <laughs> it was, and and now they're going to see another nil nil with the penalty kick shootout. That's really cagey. Um, no, I, I think there's a couple of things they're going to have to do. One, Logan Ketterer is going to have to be better with his distribution. Uh, Lowry loves playing from the back, and you saw it in their game. Um, on the weekend against Sacramento, where if he rushes that, if he goes through his reads and he isn't actually looking at who's available, and if he just sends it into the center of the midfield, it's an instant turnover. And he ended up actually assisting on Sacramento's second goal of the day by himself. So uh, that's going to have to be better. Uh, they're going to need to contain uh, the midfield duo 
of Jack Blake and Luke Mulholland in particular. I think that those two work well uh, tremendously together just in terms of uh, vision, uh, ability on the ball. And then Mulholland has a little bit more of that tenacity and that two-way factor than Blake does. I think at this point, Blake is still a luxury player. And then, uh, I mean, for him, uh, for shutting down Jack Blake, who I know has, has really kind of come back into his own after recovering from injury, that's Richie Ryan's job. Or that's going to be Yuma. Or that's, you know, like they've got a couple of different options that will really need to lock onto him. Richie will have an advantage having played against Jack Blake um, in the NASL a few years back. So he will at least remember what a young Jack Blake liked to do on the ball. We'll see how much of that is still uh, in his game plan. But I think that's going to be a really key factor for them. But no, in, in general, they're going to enter this game as the underdog. They're playing with uh, all kinds of house money at this point, too, if you're just considering you know, being the sixth seed, being an expansion team, not being Phoenix Rising. Um, there are, there's going to be a lot of people who are assuming that Monarchs are going to advance and going to be booking their flights to the east. But I think if El Paso is able to keep their shape, be a little more responsible on the ball, particularly playing out of the back like they do, uh, and going from there, yeah, I don't think that they would have uh, a problem making this a serious competition. An interesting matchup, to say the least, between El Paso and the Monarchs this Saturday. But I, I want to get into the larger postseason picture with you here briefly because this has been a really interesting postseason. I think that we can say the West pretty much blew wide open. Um, it's It's been uh, – there's been some surprises, I think, when Scott and I have kind of laid out what we thought was, was going to happen. I mean, we are by no means experts, but there have been some results where we were just kind of you know flabbergasted. For, for you, has there been one particular team that's just – been really impressive this offseason uh, yeah yeah i'm trying to think as far as impressive goes i mean i i'm gonna get off the uh, el paso bandwagon for a second here um I, I think sacramento the the work they were able to do to actually live up to expectations um that they had set for themselves at the end of the season uh it, it's pretty well documented that after a lower division club gets announced as an mls franchise they really struggle to kind of finish the job in the lower divisions you look at Nashville ran into this issue uh, in the past. Cincinnati, obviously, last year, tremendously uh, face-planted. Uh, Minnesota United in 2016 did the exact same thing, and they missed the postseason entirely. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, Orlando City, for people who've been following the USL for five years, who so remember that for Adrian Heath's last season um, in the USL. Uh, it's really not an easy transition, but I think Sacramento did well. Of course, they're not going down the list next season, so it's a little bit of a different uh, kettle of fish in that sense, but uh, I thought that they did a very good job taking care of business, uh, pulling off upsets where they needed to. Um, Monarchs obviously have really impressed anyone who's able to knock off. Um, Phoenix was going to be an impressive side. By that token, Austin Bolt did a tremendous job, uh, really with zero expectations of success in that game, holding it scoreless. I think that was some really tremendous stuff. On the East, uh, it really has been much more kind of chalk playing out for the most part. And once you get to the final four and you have one, two, three, and four, it's anyone's game because in the top four of both conferences, it was so tight um, that I'm not surprised any of those four teams. And I'll even throw in Tampa Bay Rowdies as well. If any of those five teams had made it, I wouldn't have been surprised. So I think the East was probably the, the more um, predictable of the conferences. And I think that's the one you actually predicted uh, when you and Scott went through your bracket in the video earlier uh, <laughs> last month. But um yeah, there, there really have been some standout performances, particularly in the Western Conference. Yeah, I think that kind of sheds some light on what the Eastern Conference has been this year. It's been pretty standard where we've had that top five, even six when you include NCFC. But 
I, I think when we get into this final four and now final two on, on the Eastern Conference side, things are a lot trickier trickier because these are clubs for one that face each other time and time again. They they are really familiar in terms of the way they play as well. So I've got to put you on the spot, Jeff. Does Louisville City FC play in another final? At this point, uh, I would have to make them the favorite, even going on the road. Um, I know that everyone is very excited about the new field, new stadium that's going to be opening next year. But I think that there's some magic left uh, in Louisville Slugger that I think that they want to revisit one last time, particularly if you're watching that absolute torrential downpour um, that they had in their game against the Rowdies. Uh, That was just such a memorable atmosphere. And the fans were still so engaged, uh, even as they're sitting on the concourse until a goal went in and then they run down, get doused and go back to stay dry. Um, that's tremendous. You can't bank on the rain like that, but you can surely, surely count on your fans to be able to give you a kind of similar sort of experience, uh, regardless of the weather. So I think that that would be tremendous. Look, I mean, that roster also has a lot of, I mean, big game experience. Um, India is a veteran roster by and large, but they don't have the exact same sort of uh, kind of playoff mentality. You look at teams going into the postseason there are regular season teams and playoff teams phoenix rising is the best regular season team the usl has ever seen uh, i would say that you're looking at a club like nashville sc they looked like a regular season team uh, pittsburgh looked like a playoff team it, and a lot of this is attack versus defense and i think right now you are seeing two playoff teams when you're looking at indy and louisville which will make it a really uh, exciting game for the the diehards maybe not quite as a tremendous of a spectacle like you're not going to get a 5-3 um lopsided just open open game in either of these probably but uh at, at this point yeah i think if, if i had to make a prediction i'm saying louisville is going to be hosting uh the championship final uh next weekend so then who do you have on the other side of that are you going with your locos <laughs> i am flipping a coin on that one i think yeah. at this point though yeah i am going to uh I would go with the Locos. I think uh, Hamson Alave has done a tremendous job uh, with the Monarchs. Um, I just think that there's maybe an extra gear that El Paso can get into at their best uh, that Monarchs maybe don't have. Keep in mind also, uh, every game last weekend was a one-goal game, except for El Paso's where they won 3-0. And I know that they were at home, and now they're going to be going on the road. But they have the most momentum of any team left in this postseason, purely in terms of their current form. They really entered the playoffs in a good spell of form. I think they went six unbeaten before the regular season finale against uh, Galaxy 2. Um, and then obviously in the playoffs, they've really been taking care of business, have some tremendous comebacks. Um, and yeah, they have a couple of, uh, of big wins recently as well. Uh, so I, I do think that you know, aside from you know that Fresno game, uh, Fresno game was the one where Ketterer made his uh, passing mistake. But that Sacramento game, that was a signal of intent, and I think that that shows what the quality of this roster can be if you're able to get everyone firing on all cylinders. Um, if you're able to have you know uh, Yuma stays out of yellow card trouble or red card trouble, you've got Gomez, you've got Salgado, you've got Kizavetter, you've got Velasquez up in the attack. That's dangerous. Um, yeah, I guess yeah, I am picking El Paso to make it to the final. There's no question that that El Paso side has the tools and the ability to make it to the final on the 17th. Uh, I think it's something that 
everyone would love to see. It's a great story. It's an expansion side. It's it's everything that that you could want. But I don't think the monarchs are going to let that come easy. So this weekend is going to be a lot of fun. And I think you hit the nail on, on the head as well that we we've seen the difference between these regular season sides and postseason sides. That's really come coming to fruition now and uh, this week and in our conference finals. It's going to be a good one. So Jeff, thanks again for stopping by and um, shedding some light and being very modest and humble about your early season <laughs> prediction. <laughs> And our first ever yeah, two-time guest as well. So Jeff Ruder, thanks for stopping by. Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Meg Linehan of The Athletic, and you're listening to Steal Some Time. All right, we're back down in to steal some time, and we've got to head over to the other side of the bracket now to the Eastern Conference because Pittsburgh-Louisville was a matchup we knew was going to be good, and they sure delivered extra time there in, in Pittsburgh on Saturday night. And again, we see the number one seed come out early, finish in the 11th minute. We're like, okay. This, this is exactly the, the hound side that we were going to see. They had all the stats in their favor. It, everything was, was running their way. And then... All of a sudden, we see Luke Spencer tied up in the 51st minute, and we head into extra time, and then Paulo Del Piccolo scores the game winner in the 118th minute off of a loose ball in the box. And Scott, obviously, you know, I'm going to rely on you a little bit for this Louisville City side because you obviously know them better than pretty than anybody in this office, let alone league. Paulo Del Piccolo has had a hard season. I mean, this is a, the captain, the leader of a side that's only had 870 minutes this season, you know, 15 games. This is somebody that has really been tested, I imagine, as a leader. You know, it's, it's really hard to be the captain of your team and not be on the pitch with the guys. So he's really struggled with injuries and, and things of the like. So first and foremost, this – has got to be just a massive moment for Paul De Piccolo. Yeah, I mean, PDP's, um, he's an incredible leader. He's an, an even better player, I would argue, too. I mean, um, you don't have to look back that far to, to talk about the influence he has on a side, whether he's playing, you know, the 35-ish minutes that he played on, on Saturday or whether he's going a whole full 120, full 90. So, uh, yeah, this guy has proven it time and time again. I would argue that he's one of a few players on this Louisville City squad that has deserved an opportunity to continue to advance his career. Um, but I think that he is he's everything that this Louisville City team needs. Um, I would love to see him start on Saturday. I know we'll get there, but it has been a tough year. He's he's missed a lot of time through injury. This is a different different year for him than I'm sure he's ever experienced before in his professional career. But once again, that this guy has always been the one to deliver um, when it's been needed most. And who else was there on uh, on Saturday night? I thought it was so fitting. Like, how, how perfect for it to be Paulo, to be the one to sit him through after the, after the year he's had, and of course, wearing the armband. If there's one thing I want to touch on today, it's the sheer effort out of Paco Craig. Because there was one point in time where Nico Brett got around the keeper in like the 49th minute. Nico Brett had a wide open net. I mean, all he had to do was pound it in. And... Paco Craig sprints back to the goal line and saves the the tying goal. I mean, just unbelievable. It's the little things that aren't talked about, I think, enough with, especially with this little side, you have a bunch of worker bees on, on this club. And um, that's something that, that I think really needs to be held to a high standard because out of your back line and of someone like Paco, who's been with this side for a few years, that's a that's a massive, uh, just sheer effort. I think out of him. Yeah, I think Paco's especially somebody who doesn't 
and hasn't consistently gotten the credit he's deserved. Yeah. I think over the last two, three years, Paco has been one of the best, if not the best defender in the league. Um, I think he's he's got an incredible skill set. He's he's a highly intelligent player, and he's got the the game to match it. And yeah, it was no no real surprise to me when Louisville a left it late to win, but b um, held their own defensively. And and I think it took a lot when Pittsburgh scored to to be able to come back. And obviously, you touched on it, Luke Spencer scoring just into the second half, but. Louisville's job was not done even as they pushed for a winner. And you can see John Hackworth, you know, emphasizing using all four of his changes versus Bob Lilly's too. But Paco Craig, Sean Tosh, Oscar Jimenez, even Pat McMahon, um, a few of the most consistent players that Louisville's had over the last couple of years and experience shows for them. It's going to obviously play a massive role in their meeting on Saturday. And I just want to get this on the table. You will never hear me say this again. Louisville City has never won on the road in the postseason. It's it's over. Goodbye, old storylines. We can move forward. And now they're entering the Eastern Conference Final for their fifth year in a row. So every year of their existence, I know you know, I know the league knows, but that's a serious testament to what's going on in Louisville and credit to Brad Estes and credit to John Hackworth and the guys on the pitch. I mean, this is an incredible organization that is obviously doing something right and getting it. And it's going to be exciting to see them go for year number six, I think, this time at, um, you know, in their in their brand new stadium. So, Scott, I need spell it out for me. What is it about this Louisville City side? Because I said it last week, there was no reason for me to pick Louisville over Pittsburgh other than the fact that, like, that's what my gut told me to. Everything on paper said that was a stupid decision. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to credit every single one of those people that you listed out, but it's it's a mentality. It's it's an expectancy that they're going to be there every year. It's not a... It's not an arrogant expectancy. They are a very humble group, but they are a team, and they are one of the most like consistent teams that I've seen in American soccer. I think you could make the case that they're the most dominant or the most successful team in American soccer, regardless of division. I mean, they, they come back year after year, but it is being able to keep the same players, keep the same mentality. And I think that's actually one of the things that John Hackworth and, and his assistant coach, Danny Cruz deserve the most credit for is coming in after the James O'Connor era, being only the second head coach in club history, there's a lot that could potentially go wrong, and both of those two are just as responsible as every one of those players for making sure the ship never steered off its course. And that's why they are where they are. That's why when Paolo won it, I just I was sitting on a on a buddy's couch and was like, "This is it. This is everything that we expected." I probably would have argued that it came late in regulation time instead of extra time, but there is absolutely no reason to ever rule them out or discredit this team. They are. Uh, deserved of every single praise you're going to give them this year. You got to love it. And we talked about it earlier, but this is a side that knows how to perform in the postseason. And they're getting the opportunity to do so again this Saturday, this time against Indy 11, a side that they know all too well. So we had Indy in Nashville uh, this past weekend. And first, I mean, I would like to apologize to, to every Indy 11 fan, player, member, whatever out there. I was way off base. I mean, who was I to think that I could go in for a, a 3-0 Nashville result out of that <laughs> one? Because, I mean, that was obviously way off base. Um, so, yeah, first and foremost, apologies on my front. Indy 11, kudos to you guys who got the result you were looking for. 
on the road. This is a side, an 11 side, that's only won six of 17 games on the road this season. I mean, that's a, a heck of a testament to, to Indian, you know, getting their first road playoff win in franchise history. I mean, they're coming off a lot of highs into this weekend, and they're going to need it because this – in my, in my opinion, Nashville and Indy were the two teams that had the most preseason expectations. W- would you think the same? Those are the two teams that you kind of had circled this post, this preseason? Yeah, I think so, based on off-season decisions and the amount of turnover in Indy, but in a good way, and mm-hmm. the, again, the amount of consistency in Louisville. Yeah, and I, I think what's interesting about that, too, is it's oh, I would throw also Tampa Bay into this this trio, but they have also been the most disappointing to me this season. They've been We, we haven't been able to rely on on them in, in big situations. We've um, been proved wrong time and time again, waiting for someone to step up, waiting for a storyline to kind of stay on track. So for Indy to pull this one out, it it's kudos to them. I need to talk about Tyler freaking Pasher and the finish off the ball by Tyler Gibson. So it's a Tyler duo on this, but Pasher is Indy's leading scorer. He doesn't even need a touch to finish this ball by Tyler Gibson. And it, it's so gorgeous. I mean, we were blessed with a couple of really incredible finishes in our conference semifinals. I I think that when we talk about guys like Jack Blake and, you know, just there's some workhorses in the center of the midfield that often don't get the credit. You talk about Paco leading that back line. I think Tyler Gibson has really gone under the radar this season in terms of contributions to this team. He's a, a worker B for this club. He's not going to do the flashiest things, but he, he makes the services when you need them. He really knows how, how to find his placement, find the ball. I mean, you have guys like him and Patty Barrett and, and uh, Kenny Walker kind of all going at the same time with if you've got Dane Kelly going as well and Tyler Pasher up top. Whew, you, you're loaded. I mean, that's what we saw back in February, March, where we're like, wow, this, this club could be dangerous. Maybe this is the point in time where it's kind of all finally rising. Yeah, peaking at the right time, yeah. definitely for Indy. Um I mean, it was such a great ball from Tyler Gibson that I don't even like. You can't, you can't blame <laughs> you can't. Forrest Lasso for for not being able to get to Pasher because the weight on the ball, the angle that he played it at. I mean, it it literally fell to Pasher's feet. It was just as remarkable though that just like you said, Pasher doesn't even take a touch. I mean, it's and he hits it. If you if you look at the reverse angle, which is my favorite part of it, it it's about six inches off the ground when he manages to get a toe on it to send it the other way. And it's just, it's a moment of precision that I think is what separates Indy 11 from other teams is I feel like their goals are precision-based goals. You look, Carl, we met strike against New York, an incredible, incredible swing of the foot to find the bottom far corner. Tyler Pasher, the same thing. My worry, my concern for Indy is, since they don't capitalize on everything, since they aren't just sweeping the ball into the back of the net, a la a Phoenix Rising, is their moment of will the precision moment come? Will the precise moment come? Can we capitalize on it? Those chances, obviously, few and far between. Nashville, I just felt like could never really get it going this game. So I was kind of waiting to see what it was going to take. But um, just like you, I think if if I had to put money on it, which thankfully I don't and can't legally, can't. Um, let it be heard. Yeah, let it be heard out loud. I would have picked Rios as the yeah. one to to be the difference maker on that, but it was Pasher, it was Indy, Nashville, um, two shots on target in the second half, five blocked by the Indy defense uh, in that final half hour. Or so 
Um, it's hard to argue that Indy doesn't deserve to move on and host the conference final this weekend. And it doesn't matter what we think because they're moving on no matter what. So they're there for a reason. They capitalize on opportunities when they presented themselves and kudos to the Tyler duo there because that's one of the most beautiful pieces we've seen this entire postseason. So we've got Indy and Louisville this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern over at Carroll Stadium. Indy would be the second three seed to win the title ever. Mm. So we talked about how, you know, first, no number one, no no number two seeds remain. This is a really cool territory when we're talking about the playoffs. But this game's fun because we've got the rivalry aspect to it as well. So not only is it the postseason hype, not only is it the ticket to the, the final but you've got bragging rights in on this. You've got some chips on your shoulders. You've you've got as as the supporters like to call it the Lipa FC. It is time to bring out the rivalry. And if we want to get even more personal, Louisville's the club that knocked Indy out in 2018. There's I don't think you need what else do you need yeah. to want to tune into this game? I, I don't I there's nothing else I can say to you guys to make you watch this game other than that it's gonna be a great one. And guess what? We're in the same exact scenario as we are in the Western Conference where we have two sides that drew twice during the season. It's too weird. Two one-one draws in June and again in August. And guess what? It can't happen again. We're gonna have somebody finish the job this weekend. And I, for one, can't wait. Why do you think it is so difficult to get a result out of out of this matchup, Scott? Uh, yeah, I think these teams are, are extremely evenly matched. Um, it's just, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a slugfest. And, and genuinely, all joking aside, I mean, you look at the, the futures for these two clubs being very bright. Mm-hmm. This is a game that you could talk about 50, and I know it's going to sound crazy, <laughs> but like 50 years down the road when you're talking about like, Indy only being six years in existence, Louisville five years in existence. This is These are their formative years, and just like you said, I think this is as big as it gets. So two very evenly matched teams, two teams that have um, potent attacks when they need to. They have strong midfields. They have strong back lines, and, and um, Chris Hubbard and Jordan Farr have been great in goal for both teams as well. So I know this is Louisville's only second-ever trip to Carroll Stadium uh, after an, an Open Cup game in June 2016, so not familiar territory for them. Also not super familiar territory for, for Indy not being their home venue, so a lot of, uh, lot of extraneous factors at play. It's, it's going to be fun. I'm interested to see how Martin Rennie is going to pick out his lineup card on Saturday night because when you look back into his matchups against New York and Nashville, we're talking about three, five, two formations. So do you change for your opponent or do you keep what's kind of working for you? I think that both of these guys, both Martin Rennie and John Hackworth will, I don't want to say play it safe, but I think they'll be more hesitant to adjust something for what is the deciding game for obviously not their season, but both of these teams want to be competing next week. Both of them want to be competing at home in the championship final. I'm more inclined to say that I, I think Louisville would be a side that would make a change versus Indy. I think Rennie is is going to be more, more likely, not impossible, but more likely to stick to his guns. Can I put you on the spot? Of course. Who do you got? I think Louisville's going to end up hosting a, a third consecutive USL championship final. Um too much is going right now. Um, I think Indy is Indy certainly has a shot. I'm at like 51%, 49%, that kind of split right now. But 
again, just like you said, uh, multiple times throughout the postseason, there's just something going for Louisville right now. It's, it's really hard to bet against the experience and a team that this is Indy's first conference final. Um, Indy could be in the conference final next year against Louisville, and I'd have a completely different answer. But Louisville's been here before time and time again. It just makes sense. Eastern Conference Final, Western Conference Final, this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Matt Calvo has his hand raised. I'd like to call on Matt Calvo. Yes? Question before, yes. before we move on from this game. Who's the hero of the game? Of, of the Eastern Conference Final? Yeah. I've, I've, uh, it also depends who you're taking. And Scott didn't put me on the spot, so I didn't think I was going <laughs> to have to make a choice so Kelsey, here. Who, who do you take and who's your hero? Um, you know what? Just just for fun, I think I'm going to go against Scott. Um, just for fun, I, because or just for consistency. I, well, like, <laughs> I, yeah, both, right? I, I just, I again, tomorrow could go a, a different direction. Um, I've been on the Louisville bandwagon this entire postseason, really pulling for them to make the upsets. Um, I think there is a slight advantage with with Indy being at home, and I just, I like the way this midfield's playing a lot right now. Uh, this Indy eleven side, so um, I'm going Tyler Gibson, the hero. Mm. And if I'm picking one for Louisville, it's Luke Spencer off the bench. No Brian Ombi. No Brian Ombi. Okay. Luke Spencer. You, you were waiting for him to come alive in the postseason. Yeah, but then I think back, like, Luke scored the winning goal in yeah. the championship final last year. Luke scored the tying goal against Pittsburgh. He That guy comes up big. All these Louisville guys are capable <laughs> of it, but it's it's Luke. Either way, Saturday is going to be a fun one. Both kickoffs are at 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. So, we are going to know by, I don't know, maybe 6 p.m. Eastern what that final is going to look like on the 17th. So it's, it's going to be a fun Saturday. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hit our favorite moments across social media this week. And, of course, Scott and I are, are going to duke it out in uh, Shots Fired. Hi, I'm Warren Smith, and you're listening to Feel Some Time. Let's talk a little social media, Scott. So this past weekend... Uh, USL San Diego officially became San Diego Loyal SC. So another club that we're going to see in the 2020 season. We've got colors. We've got branding. We've got a crest. What were your first impressions? I want to keep my section short because you were on the ground. I was on so the ground, you saw yeah. it. So I'm much more interested in, in hearing what you have to say. Um, I love the shape of the crest. I think that the like the top, I know it's it's some homage to a building in San Diego or their Spanish style in San Diego, something like that. So that's cool. Um, colors seem very California, very San Diego. And I know, at least I've been told by our, our head honcho, Ryan Madden, that San Diego's not like they don't truly consider themselves part of California or something like that. Like they're just that different, but I think it's cool. I think that loyalty is something that they've spoken on a lot when it comes to sports franchises starting up and leaving and starting up and leaving. And I know that they want to be there for a long time. So that's it. What do you think? Yeah. So I was, I was really pumped to be on site for uh, the, this event. So it was a very quick 48 hours. I got in Friday afternoon, left Sunday afternoon. Um, but this first and foremost, the San Diego club, this front office staff is incredible. This is going to be a very, very well run staff. Um, I think that's really important. I mean, of course, with, with Warren Smith and Land Donovan at the helm, they're bringing in a lot of experience, a lot of people who really know what they're doing in the sports industry. On top of that, I I don't think enough people realize how much work went into every tiny little detail mm. of this crest because you have one local artist, one who designed it, 
And then you have a San Diego loyal brand that is literally formatted and created from their supporters. From uh, there were direct, you know, lines of, of help from uh, the locals who's going to be their supporter group. I mean, it, it was really cool how much that they really took from their supporters and really honed in on like, okay, what what do you guys exactly want? And one of the big things that a lot of their the residents and locals told to me is that like, listen, San Diego's different. We don't want to be like anybody else. You might not like this at first, and that's fine because people outside of San Diego just don't get it. Like, mm. we're just a different kind of breed. And, you know, if if you see, like, I know there was some negative attention online, and Warren was like, well, none of them are from San Diego. So, oh, like... Sure. Negative attention <laughs> on social media. Really? <laughs> I know, really, it's a crazy, it's a crazy thought. But I, I love the colors. I think the colors are so San Diego, and I think that when you talk about the the local residents and the supporters, this is a club that's like they're thirsty for it. They cannot wait for soccer to kick off in 2020. And um, I, I'm a big fan. I like people who do things differently, and I like people who kind of go off off the end a little bit and San Diego encompasses that and I think we're going to see in the coming months they're just going to continue doing things differently and I mean what more can you ask for out of an expansion club yeah so we're pumped about that one. I do need to, to shed some light briefly on Halloween because I was last week. Scott did you dress up? As, no as I did not dress up <laughs> which I'm sure is such a shock to everyone in this room. <laughs> Scott did not dress up. He did watch his fair share of scary movies. I can attest to that. that. Um, I think it's interesting because Matt Calvo brought up the fact that there was this Halloween video circulating around. I think it was Dracula, right? This kid dressed up as Dracula mm-hmm. and he went up to the doorstep and went to like look in the, the box of all the Halloween candy and there was nothing in there. So he actually took his candy from his own bucket and put it in for the rest of the kids. It's a sweetheart. This is the future. Yeah, it is the future. We hope it's the future at least. <laughs> Let's hope so. So yeah. Which converse to the loyal, some of the loyal feedback, this was something positive on social media. So. Which we never see. Like literally never see many That's positive why we, things. We have to celebrate. We have it to celebrate moments it. like this when it does happen. Small victories. Happy Halloween to everyone. I hope you got your scare and your candy in. Uh, one question can we get out the Christmas trees yet? No? Are we a Thanksgiving Christmas tree? I just need to put that on the table. So we're moving forward. I think music, if you want to do it on your own, that's totally cool. But like, (laughs) I don't don't want to hear it in restaurants. Don't subject the rest of the crowd to it. Yeah, yeah. Like, just give November its its date. All right, we'll give November its date. I want to give Matt Calvo his time as well because we're going to move into Shots Fired and and then wrap up our episode. So Kelsey wasn't totally thrilled with last week. No, I wasn't. Halloween question, even though I loved it, I was really excited for it. Just oddly specific, to be fair to Kelsey on this one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I put much less thought into this week's question. (laughs) Oh, great. Since you all don't appreciate when I put more thought into the questions. Uh, But sticking with Halloween and much more traditional Halloween, um, and because I have now a ton of it at my house, best and worst, Halloween candy. Mm. Mm. One of of each. What did it like? Most excited to get in the bag or bucket, whatever is your device of choice. And then the one that you, when you got there, you're like, man, who gives this stuff out? Okay. Okay. Uh, Scott, victorious last week. Yeah, I'll I'll take the pressure off. I'll go ahead and go. You going first? Yeah. Here we go. Go. Uh, worst are those malt balls. Cause I just think that they're just, they're an awful candy. Um, I don't, I've never met anyone who's enjoyed malt balls. And if I had, or if, if you plan on interjecting, please just save it. Cause I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah, um, 
I'm going to go for best. I've got to split it into two categories. Non-chocolate has to be Sour Patch Kids. Chocolate, it's got to be Reese's Cups. It's just, it's it's vintage. Both of those are just absolute staples. So yeah, Malt Ball's worst and um, Reese's and Sour Patch Kids, always the favorites. So uh, no Whoppers. No Whoppers. No Whoppers. It's just everything about it. The packaging feels like it's those have been around and literally they were made in the Great Depression and we're still serving them in 2019. They probably were. They yeah. probably were. Yeah. Those don't go bad. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a good thing. <laughs> um, I just will, spoil I, eventually. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but malt balls are forever, apparently. <laughs> forever. Much to our disdain. I want to preface that Reese's was also my my go my first go to as well. It's fair. It's, it's my fair. favorite candy. I'm not a big candy person, so like that's what I'll go to. So I'll I'll take this in another direction. But I will say Scott and I agreed on something. Wow. Well, it's a big uh, day for do, us. Do you want a wrinkle in it? What size Reese's? Yeah, I don't want to get into that. I'm going to go a different direction. <laughs> don't make me Just choose between yeah, my like Reese's. That. I like that. Like, it's a good answer. It's a pro answer. Yeah. Because uh, I, I would argue that the. Um, bite-sized Reese's are better than the full-size regular Reese's. Wow. That's a hot take. Easter egg Reese's king. Just saying, Reese's. like the bite-sized ones are the perfect ratio of peanut butter to chocolate. Okay. All right, go. Okay, so I think the best as a kid that you can get is going up to a doorstep, opening your bag up, and the the trick-or-treat person putting in a whole candy bar. I'm talking like massive. My grandma was the one that would put in like chips, popcorn, the giant candy. So, I mean, as a kid, that's what you want. The worst, do not give me any type of chocolate with nuts in it. Like, I do not want almonds in my Hershey bar. Like, let them be separate. Let them live separate. Don't ruin something good. You don't like Snickers? Not really, no. Okay, all right. That's fair. I mean, I, I, will, I will eat anything. Yeah, like, sure, I will sure. not, like, hate on the Snickers, but I just... Tastes good. Like, when someone hands me a brownie and it's got nuts in it, I'm like, why, why did you ruin something good? You know? I just... I don't think the two flavors mix well. I like it. I like so. it. Both very professional answers. I think that this was, both of these were high quality. Scott, you're being so kind to me today. Yeah, well, <laughs> We haven't it. seen each other in a few days, <laughs> it's, so... It's been a little while. <laughs> Uh, I'm not even going to play around on this one because, frankly, I'm really hurt by one of these answers in particular. It's probably mine. Shocking. <laughs> you ain't winning this one, Kelsey. Yeah. The, n- it, the nuts yeah, and chocolate's the, a very yeah, hot take. The nuts and chocolate. It's a hot take. Yeah. First of all, a brownie without nuts is not a brownie. Okay, we can't. We're going to bore false. everyone. We've got to get out of here. Cake. Oh my That's god. Cake. No, no, it's okay. It... All right. No. Scott takes his W yeah. two weeks in a row. Yeah. Obviously, Halloween is like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to act like I earned that one. I went with defaults on all three, I think, so. I think you liked my answers better than Matt as well. Maybe I should have yeah. let you decide. Yeah. Either way, Halloween's not my forte. Apparently, I need to stick to my day job. So, <laughs> guys, we've got conference finals this weekend saturday 3 p.m eastern you can't miss them we're gonna know who's gonna be in the big show on the 17th until then we will catch you next week scott stewart kelsey Steele, matt cavill we'll see you next time